0: Uh, welcome to this uh, jrnyquist.com uh podcast for Monday, uh, December 8th, uh, 2008. And, of course, I'm Jeff Nyquist. And uh, joining me is my brother, Greg Nyquist, who, uh, who uh, works on my website. He's author of Ayn Rand Contra-Human Nature. Uh, welcome to the show, Greg.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah. Um, we were talking the other day about the economy, and what's going on with uh, the bailout and stuff. And I guess the uh, about two weeks ago, the economy took another leg down with the markets and stuff. And people were asking the Secretary of the Treasury, you know, when where was the bottom of this? And he wouldn't say. Um, do we have any idea? Does anybody know where the bottom of this market is? Um,
1: perhaps not. I, you just have to look at more reasonable values for... The various markets involved, uh, the stock market may still be overvalued. Whatever it is, around eight thousand or seven thousand or whatever, it may have to go down to six thousand before it reaches bottom,
0: or five thousand, as Michael Pansner told me in an interview uh, last month. Uh, Michael Pansner, who wrote *Financial Armageddon*, um, you know, I'm I'm amazed though I that I just heard. Uh, and I've been hearing for the last two weeks that, that the actual amount of money spent, being spent by the government to prevent this economic crash is seven trillion. And it seems to me that an economic crash itself was gonna cause about seven trillion in damage. So they've already paid the seven trillion already and the crash is still not done. So have they, uh, have they wasted money?
1: Well, I'm not sure how much money they've actually spent. They may have committed that amount of money, but I don't think uh, you know. It's hard to know exactly what they're doing. Their plans are very complicated, and you know a lot of the stuff hasn't really gone into effect. They haven't really. Uh, I've heard they've they've put 200 billion in so far, but I'm not sure what that means. Whether that's 200 billion that the Fed has put into the banks, or or whether this is actually policies. uh Implemented through the federal executive. Well, I know Department. I know
0: that the Fed used up most of its emergency fund, which was a trillion dollars, as as I recall. If I'm I'm just going by memory, which means that that they've already the Federal Reserve has poured in, and then they got more into their emergency fund. So the Federal Reserve has spent an enormous amount already uh, on this uh, bailing out different entities. And uh, so I don't. I don't really know where the seven trillion, but I'm hearing it all over the news media. Seven point eight trillion. Uh, well, I think
1: that's what they committed to in their legislation. Um. So that that's money that's going to be spent over time. Um, I'm not sure any of that money has actually gotten into the banking system yet.
0: Well, can the U.S. Uh, I mean, can they generate that much money, and that where does it come from?
1: Well it's who knows how they're gonna balance their books. Um obviously that's um you know, they they'll put that on their on their tab. You know, it depends on where the money, if it's through the normal, you know, legislation type thing through Congress, that, that money either comes from tax receipts or from borrowing from treasury bills. As far as the Fed goes, that's just usual open market operations. None of that money is really put in to uh, bail anyone out. That's just money put in to increase banking reserves.
0: You know, it, it occurs to me, listening to the economics talk and listening to people talking about government over the years, it's quite clear to me that it's abstract principles, very cleverly thought out abstract principles that have given us the subject of economics, have given us advanced economic understandings, that have allowed the modern economy to function, the principles that allow it to function so well. Uh, governments, the same way, how we have freedom, we have a system of checks and balances, we have a constitution which is based on abstract principles and ideas. Um, and it seems to me that, that, that I look around at the intellectuals today, and their abstract principles and ideas seem to me to be uh, false principles and ideas, or are, are wrong or off the the track, off track. Ideas. Would I be mistaken in saying that there's been a decline in the ability to reason about abstractions? I don't know if there's been a decline.
1: I'm not sure that we've had a very good understanding of economics all along, and that that's part of the problem.
0: But of course, uh, we've had the we've had a tremendously robust economic. you know under capitalism with freedom, we had this tremendous growth in the nineteenth century in the twentieth century and now in the twenty first century and and they had these economic understandings you know free free market um free trade um non government interference if the government interferes too much, it's bad um even in the eighties they they rediscovered the idea that you don't want to tax too much um because it will it will dampen the uh the productivity of people. Um, and then, of course, the Constitution. Uh The U.S. Constitution, the idea of checks and balances, the, the, the socialist thinking of people today is that everybody needs a hand up or a hand out. And so we need, the government needs to do all these programs, and it needs to tax and redistribute wealth. And this is something the founding fathers, I mean, they only had three branches of government when George Washington assumed the presidency. In 1789, or yeah, 1789, and the three branches were the War Department, the State Department, and the uh Justice Department. And now we have what, 15, 16 departments of government, and we have this enormous uh, budget. I mean, is this really sustainable? What we're the path we're on now?
1: No, it's not sustainable. Um, the reasons for that has to do with. Not not so many departments. Most of those departments don't cost a lot of money. The real problem is middle class welfare, Social Security, and, and Medicare. which are very popular programs that everybody wants. Those are the big problems.
0: Yeah, and we have an aging population that's going to be collecting on those uh, promises of uh, Medicare and uh, and Social Security in the next decade. Well, that's right. I, I know, uh, uh, I've read where economists say 2008, this year is the year that sort of the first baby boomers start to retire. This big lump of the population that's, that's reaching their, their golden years, so to speak. And then in the next few years, the pressure on social security is going to be enormous. Now, uh, given the fact that the economy is going into recession, and they're saying it's a severe recession, and the stock market's fallen, and, and all this wealth is being wiped out. And, and of course, uh, we have uh, housing, real estate going down. A lot of businesses, unemployment is rising. Businesses are going under. They're saying that unless Detroit gets a bailout, Detroit's going to go under. Uh, the automobile industry there. So so don't you think that uh, the country's headed for bankruptcy?
1: Well, I, in the long term, yes, I... I we still are a, a huge economy with tons of assets, and our, uh, you know, percentage of, of debt to um, the to GDP is, is not uh, extravagant. The the biggest, the most important market in the world, um, so I, I don't see see bankruptcy as a, as a whole being a problem yet. Um, that's that's coming on down the road
0: so how far down the road would national bankruptcy be um, are they in this economic crisis or are they going to destroy the currency by starting to print money are we going to see a run on the dollar overseas
1: um well the dollar could could weaken but right now because of all the deleveraging um, and, and as long as this deleveraging continues and uh, I don't see the dollar necessarily weakening because they can't they can't they can talk about printing money, but no one actually prints money uh, nowadays. Simply open market operations is putting money in banks is the only way the government has of infusing a lot of money into well, I mean, the economy.
0: The government can print money if it wants.
1: I'm not sure about that. Who would they give it to?
0: Well, they have it. <laughs> they would pay their their bills with it. They would pay their own way with it.
1: Well, they're not doing that right now, and I don't see any. No one suggested that they do that so far.
0: Ah, I, yeah, someone was telling me there was a piece in the New York Times saying that a government official said that uh, not to worry that we can print money to meet our obligations. So you don't have to worry about not receiving your social security or what have you, uh, in the economic crisis.
1: Yeah, I don't know of any, I mean, that's, that's just an anecdote. I don't know how well verified that is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know either. Um, so, well, so you think that things uh, that the economy is going to recover and things are going to get better? Then,
1: well, I don't know if things are going to get better. Um, you know, the, this deleveraging process is is very long and painful, and it could be deflationary, which makes it even more painful. Because basically, with all the debt contracting, it is like the money supply is contracting, despite the frantic efforts on the other side to increase the money supply.
0: Well, what, what, what are, what frantic efforts would that be and how do they do that?
1: Well, it's, that's really what the bailout of the banks is all about. It's to put cash in the banks. That's what the Fed has been desperately trying to do is to put more increased reserves of the banks, but the banks don't want to lend the reserves. Where where do they get,
0: where do they get the money? Is this taxpayer dollars that they're giving the banks?
1: Well, this is part of the open market operations. This is Fed money that That they always generally have, this is how monetary policy is undertaken, is they buy securities from the banks and that puts money into the, into the banks. Mm
0: -hmm. And what do they buy the securities with?
1: Well apparently they have, they have money, their own reserve of money Uh that they can use.
0: And so they buy securities and put them in the banks so that the banks can then loan money. Uh, that's right. Right, and the That's banks and the banks don't want to loan mo- loan money because the banks are expecting to take further hits as the real estate market goes down more
1: uh yes, it's credited very tight. they just nobody wants to lend any money due to uh, the fact that everyone's in a bad position, and they're not sure if they can pay all their uh their debts, so they want to keep the money um and improve their their positions their debt positions.
0: I've heard, it's been stated in the Wall Street Journal in recent weeks that there are 2,000 banks that are in trouble in the United States. Um, Are we facing a a banking crisis like they had in the early 30s where you had 7,400 banks in the U.S. fail?
1: Yeah, we're facing that kind of crisis. Uh, The government will do everything it can to prevent that crisis from occurring because that's the general opinion is that Uh, the Great Depression was caused by a a banking crisis
0: so there is uh, so the government therefore wants to bail out the banks to prevent them from failing because that if the banks fail there will be a Great Depression
1: well that would be the fear yes
0: and so the government they just buy these securities and give them to the banks and that's what the treasury secretary is currently undertaking now
1: well, the Fed does the buying of the securities. Treasury Secretary—that's a different plan, um, kind of obscure. I, I mean, I've heard rumors from a local bank here that that Paulson simply wants to put money in the good banks and let the bad banks fail.
0: I see. And is Congress going to let him use the money that way? I understood originally when they passed this bailout bill for seven hundred billion that the money was to buy toxic debt to uh, take that off the hands of the banks or off of Wall Street's hands, whoever happened to have it. And that seemed to be thrown out the window. And now what they want to do is they want, want to buy shares in the banks themselves?
1: Uh, yes, they want to invest in the banks.
0: And how does that help the situation?
1: Well, it puts money in the banks. It's a scheme for getting money into the banks so they can get credit going again. Get the credit. I mean, credit is really tight right now. Even credit-worthy people are having trouble getting credit.
0: So if I went out to buy a house, even though I have perfect credit, it would be very difficult for me uh, unless I had like 25% or 50% down.
1: Uh, I don't know the exact situation, but that's probably, um, that may
0: very well be true. So it's, uh, and of course it depends on the bank. Some banks are doing well and don't feel nervous, and other banks are worried and don't want to make loans unless they're absolutely sure to make money on them
1: yeah that may be I, I don't I'm not sure anyone knows the specific uh, status of each bank uh, that's you know since there's so many banks out there but there's a lot of toxic debt and apparently what paulson would like to do is uh, find the banks that are in the least worst condition and invest money into those banks so that those banks can start lending and let the really bad banks, uh you know, fail, or, you know, whatever happens to them.
0: Huh. And, um, and so how many banks will fail? I guess we'll find out then.
1: Well, I, you know, they'll probably only let the smaller banks go down. The bigger banks will be taken over by other banks.
0: And does that preserve the financial infrastructure, or does that create the same conditions that that, that we saw in the Great Depression? I mean, we, we so far we're seeing deflation and falling prices, falling stock market, falling real estate.
1: Well, no, so far we don't see anything quite on the level of the Great Depression. Um, with the Great Depression, the money supply uh, contracted by a third, and that was uh generally what is thought to have been the the big triggering of all these bank failures um
0: well how much is the money supply contracted now?
1: Oh, I was not contracting at all at least as far as the figures is we don't have any real good estimates of sort of the real money supply because we have so many ways of you know money substitutes out there, so we don't really know real money supply um the the money supply of like change dollar bills and coins, has gone up. Uh, the money supply of change plus savings has been about zero percent right now. It hasn't gone up at all.
0: I see, but yet the demand for those things are going down or up.
1: Well, the demand for money is, you know, pretty high right now. People want to go into money and get out of bad debt. That's what deleveraging is all about. Get rid of all this bad debt.
0: Okay. Uh, explain what you mean by getting rid of the bad debt. What does that involve?
1: Well, so you don't have, you don't owe the money on it. You cancel it. You get rid of it.
0: So, so basically you negotiate with your creditor and you say, Look, uh, maybe I can pay this, but I can only pay a quarter of it, so I'll pay 25 cents on the dollar. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Well, that would be one strategy to have. I mean obviously the the banks originally wanted to get the government to buy it all. Um there's various strategies to try to get rid of it. Sometimes you just have to sustain the loss, say hey, I, this can't be paid.
0: And so um people just take their lose their good credit, good name and credit and the bank does not recover well the bank takes over the collateral, takes over the house or whatever. Someone was mentioning to me uh on an earlier podcast that they'd heard that um uh, an economic uh, pundit on TV say that if if your house the value of your house had gone down 10% below the price that you paid for it you're stupid to keep paying your mortgage you should just walk away from it uh which is interesting because i don't know how many people would be in that category but uh, everybody who bought a house in the last uh three, four, five years, depending on what part of the country you're in, uh, might be in that position.
1: Yeah, that's, that's quite possible. I, I, there's no really solid statistical information on that right now.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen anything either. Um, so it's... Um, and now we, we're we having a transition to a new administration, to a new Treasury Secretary and uh, new President... Um, uh, wh- how do you think is is there going to be a, a fundamental change in the way this crisis is handled between the Bush administration and the Obama administration?
1: Well, there could. I don't know if there's going to be a fundamental change. Um, there could be a slight change. Uh, Obama administration may be a little bit more aggressive in bailing out. Um, the Bush position was basically we'll bail out the banks, or at least help the banks, um, but we don't want to bail anyone else out. That may not be the position of um, of the Obama administration.
0: So, like it, the Bush administration does not want to bail out Detroit, for example, and Obama wants to do something for Detroit. Ah, uh, that's right.
1: That's right. Obama, there's there's a lot of union people there, and so it wouldn't look good for him not to to make an attempt to bail them out.
0: And, uh, in your opinion, you've studied economics. Is it a good idea for the U.S. Uh, government to bail out Detroit? Uh, not,
1: not if they only look at it from an economic point of view. From an economic point of view, it would not be a good idea.
0: Alright, let's talk about this. From an economic point of view, is a bailout, bailing out, uh, banks or bailing out, uh, automobile manufacturers or anyone a, uh, a good abstract economic principle? Is this the principle that the government should adopt in times of economic crisis?
1: um generally not i there may be you if your banks are in a real bad position you may have to do some kind come up with some kind of plan uh to help deleverage and to try to keep a total collapse from happening but of course you can't bail out uh you know organizations that continue to make bad mistakes
0: like aig for example
1: oh uh, that's right
0: yeah that bailout of aig i don't know how much money they gave them but it was a uh it was a, i think it was between 70 and 120 million wasn't it or was it more than that
1: it's a lot of money
0: yeah it it's it's it seems to me that for, first of all there's also an issue of fairness uh if my business gets into trouble it's very small and i would only need 60,000 maybe to bail out my business um why don't i get it why do they get it and not me
1: well of course being bigger there's there's a lot more people that can be hurt by it going out I mean, that's the main reason it can, it can affect the economy as a whole.
0: But I would be asking for far mo- less money. Bailing me out is a lot cheaper. and maybe, uh, maybe cost per person, I'm, I'm more cost effective than AIG.
1: <laughs> no, that's not how it works. I, I don't know if AIG, what sort of, whether that was just crony capitalism or they were really afraid of a, of a trigger thing happening and they felt they needed to bail them out.
0: Well, um, going back to economic principles, abstract principles, explain why it would be uh, ever be bad for government to bail out a failing uh, a failing financial entity.
1: Why would it ever be bad or? Why, well, be yeah. Better?
0: Why? Why no? Why would it ever be bad? And then we can talk about why it would ever be good. Why would it? Why would it be bad to bail out somebody? I mean, after all, you're saving all these jobs. It's the bigger the bailout, the better, right? Because you're helping so many people. You're preventing so much uh, catastrophe.
1: Well, the main problem is the moral hazard, uh, the fact that you're rewarding people who've made bad mistakes. Uh, the market is supposed to get rid of all that sort of thing, and you're not letting the market mechanisms work.
0: Um, do you think the market is working in that regard? I mean, I see people who have ma- MBAs, you know, they, they, they run one uh, corporation into the ground, and then they transfer to another one. And, and, and the muck of their previous activity doesn't seem to stick on them. All the, uh, the idiocy that they ran one company into the ground, would they just repeat with another? And for some reason, their buddies all cover up for each other and they go from one company to another wrecking them. I mean, and I've, I have some personal experience seeing that sort of thing happening. Um, do you think the market, do you think our modern culture, our economic culture, with all of its emphasis on having degrees and credentials and, and a good old boy network, you think it's really working?
1: Well, there are some serious institutional problems, um, partly relating to limited liability corporations, where you divide ownership from management in ways that allows management to manipulate its way into into getting things that are not don't make sense uh, in terms of economic and, and market principles. And then there is the uh, the fact that uh, the economics profession got taken over by mathematicians. Uh, we have this portfolio theory based on advanced math and and computer programs being used to uh, figure out economic decisions in financial markets. All that has contributed a great deal to this current mess.
0: Hmm. that's interesting Um mathematics explain how mathematical uh, econ- economics has contributed to to bad economic decisions.
1: Well, all this derivative stuff is, is basically based on various theories that came out of the mathematical movement, based on the, the equilibrium theory that dominates economics. They've developed this theory where basically, uh, according to the theory, you can have an infinite amount of, of leverage. And they started putting that theory in practice in the 80s, when they started deregulating and, and making it possible to turn anything... Into a marketable asset, whether it was mortgage debt or or all these derivative uh, things, these derivative securities they've been uh, cooking up.
0: So, a derivative is basically you are monetize, monetizing some item that's never been considered, you know, capital before or, mo- well, that's, or money before. Well, that's what a
1: sort of a security is. A derivative is um, is sort of a a hedge or a bet you make. You say if a certain condition arises. I'll pay this person this amount of money. And if it doesn't arise, I keep a certain amount of money that he gives me. Uh, the derivatives are used for to try to insure
0: the markets. I see. So people place bets, in other words. In other words, this sounds just like Las Vegas.
1: Well, it's sort of a,
0: a Ponzi scheme of sorts. And And people pay money to buy bets. Is that what it is, basically a bet that some price is going to go down or some price is going to go up? within a certain time?
1: That's right, on the assumption that you're transferring risk to people who are better able to bear it.
0: I see. And the people that sell these derivatives are the are the entrepreneurs who need to brace themselves against these risks?
1: Uh, yes. That's, that's the theory behind it. Mm. And, of course, there's some people say that up to $60 trillion of these derivative securities have been invented in, in the last 20 years. Sixty trillion dollars worth of obligation. Uh, it allowed non-banks to create credit and, and create this massive credit bubble in the '90s. Um, and now we're we're paying the piper for all this this bad portfolio theory based on mathematics, very complicated mathematics, calculus stuff that only computers can figure out. It's it's been a, a complete mess, and and even the uh, Even monetarism, which is a theory that dominates the Federal Reserve, is also based on mathematics. It's based on the idea that the economy is sort of a mechanism. And you can control it by changing the various leverages as far as the money supply is concerned. Because the money supply is like water in a bathtub. You need more money, you just pour more water into the bathtub.
0: So but they it don't doesn't really work that way. They don't. So, so are you saying that the economy is more of an organism than a mechanism, and that the uh, that it's not really as described by the mathematicians?
1: Uh, yes, because you have human beings who are uh, who are making value judgments, and human beings are not mechanical, despite what uh, various scientists now want you to believe.
0: And okay, uh, human beings are not mechanical; they're organic, uh, they're organisms, and so there's a, there's psychological factors and spiritual factors involved in their choices, as you say, value judgments. Um, and so the mathematicians have not tried to model this at all in their uh, calculations.
1: Well, how can they? You can't. Uh, a human being can't be described by a mathematical equation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I would think at least that these mathematicians with their idea of what a human being is would have at least tried.
1: No, no. Human beings are uh, profit maximizers, according to this theory.
0: Oh, they're profit maximizers. Now, that's the uh rational actor model, or derives from the rational actor model. Well,
1: that's what it is. Yeah. You can trace it back to the 19th, 19th century economist Leon Walras. Who created the equilibrium theory. And of course- This is a theory that still dominates traditional economics, despite the fact that everybody knows that all the premises it's built on are completely false.
0: Man is not a homo economicus, and we're not all a bunch of little rational actors always doing what is economically optimal for us to do. That's right. Yeah. So that's interesting. So they, so they've created this monster, uh, of mathematical formulas for guiding them through the economy based on false premises and perhaps what we're seeing is it's hitting the wall and the people that are most affected then are those parts of those financial institutions and those economic entities that got involved in this this derivatives process, this process of of using these formulas and this equilibrium theory.
1: Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, it's finally, the chickens are finally coming home to roost on on econometrics and all their their formulas. Uh, per, that's how Greenspan became Federal Reserve. He was he created all these uh, statistical methods for for gauging the economy. That's what his business was before he got into government. Is he gave businesses info, statistical information about the economy and forecasts based on complex mathematical models.
0: Were his forecasts very good?
1: Well, his forecasts for they they can kind of work if they're just about a, like individual industry and they're based on very recent information. They're very short term. Mm-hmm. You get more longer term stuff and they break down. Even Greenspan understood that, but a lot of people don't. I mean, I can remember being in, in an economics class on uh, that had these formulas. And the first day of class, the, the professor said, well, these formulas don't work, but all my students get really high-paying jobs.
0: <laughs> because businessmen out there want those formulas, and they want the feeling of security and knowledge that comes with supposing these formulas work.
1: Yeah, so, well, it's it's sort of the human nature. People are are into this sort of thing. They They like, you know, magic words and magic formulas, and... That sort of appeals to some primitive instincts in, in human beings. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. And it's also, it's got the, it makes it seem scientific. It's like physics. I mean, that's what, uh, that's what a walrus who was an engineer. That's what all the mathematical e- economists, uh, were trying to do. They were trying to bring, trying to make economics like a science like physics. Irving Fisher was a preeminent mathematical e- economist in America. And, uh, he had a lot of background in, in, in science. He was the first person to get a, a PhD, I believe, from Yale or Harvard. And, uh, he was the one that two weeks before the stock market crash in 29, claimed that, uh, that the stock market was going to go much higher. It was on a permanently high plateau.
0: And of course, mathematics doesn't give him any real psychological clue as to what's going on. And so we have, uh, this abstract mathematical uh, sort of craze. It's a craze for the abstract, uh, in the mathematical form. And like the tulip craze, this craze has led to this investment in these, really what they're investing in is these mathematical formulas is what they're investing in, or what they're putting the economy into. And now it's, uh, it's, it's exploded. It's just blown up in everyone's faces. Uh,
1: that's, uh, pretty much pretty much the case, and, and the Federal Reserve blew it because they were being good monitorists, they were monitoring uh, the price level, um, consumer price level, and since that didn't change, they didn't do anything about it. Uh, Greenspan kept saying, well, we didn't, We have no way of telling whether whether something's a bubble or not until it bursts. So they didn't do anything in the 90s.
0: So, and of course most of the credit inflation was coming from these, uh, these private concepts, these, <laughs> these derivatives.
1: Probably yes, because I don't think the open market, if we had any more open market purchases in the 90s than we did in the 80s, it was pretty much the same. So where did that extra money come from that drove up the stock market? Had to come from somewhere.
0: So the tulips were very valued. When the tulip craze happened in Holland, what in the early seventeen hundreds or 16, 1600s, um the the uh the people got tulips and they loved the tulips, and they kept buying them, and the prices kept going up and up, and people said i'll buy tulips as an investment because look at all the prices going up and then you had all these people like the i had this I had a friend who once uh, they his, he came home and his garage was full of beanie babies and his his wife had bought uh ten thousand dollars worth of beanie babies, and he says what's this?" His I said, "It's an investment. <laughs> Beanie babies are the wave of the future. They're getting more valuable every day. You know, I buy them now for this price, and then, you know, so the tulip craze. So now it's it's the derivatives craze. And do do people understand yet how destructive this all this uh, f- false abstraction has been to the economy? And is there is this correction? Uh, uh, is pe is this correction working its way out, or is there harder lessons ahead?
1: Well, that." I don't know how much they understand. I, I think most people in the derivative business are realizing, you know, what were we thinking? Um, whether they understand sort of the intellectual foundations of it, there's a few people that are beginning to understand. But the problem is there's a lot of people in the academic world, they have a vested interest in mathematical theories. They spent their whole career developing these things, plus the fact that uh, there's, there's sort of a selection process If you're not good at mathematics, you don't make it in economics. And people who tend to be good at mathematics, they oftentimes aren't very good at thinking. Because calculation is not thought. Thought is is intuitive judgment. You know, you can have these idiot savants who can, who are very good at calculating. But don't have any judgment at all, like the Dustin Hoffman character.
0: In, in the, that was Rain Rain Man, Rain Man. Man. Uh, They could do
1: very complicated Mathematics, uh, but he didn't understand the value of money. Just sort of what, uh, modern economic theories sort of describes the, what they're about. They, they understand the numbers behind money. They can tell you how much money's in circulation or, or they can at least try, but they don't know anything about the quality of money. That concept goes over their head.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. So, so it's, it's, now if it's If it's private entities that have done all this, then really the government's response to the crisis, how does that relate to this crisis in derivatives? Is the government even really able to address any of this?
1: Well, there's a number of things that the government is going to do. Um, It's already been suggested that derivatives should have reserve requirements. That's one of the big mistakes and derivatives is one of the least regulated areas of, of capitalism. there's a few regulations like you're not supposed to sell derivatives to somebody who makes less than sixty thousand a year or something like that some kind of regulation
0: mm-hmm.
1: because they're they're regarded as dangerous, and people knew that they were dangerous.
0: like going to Las Vegas and putting their life savings on the uh, in, into blackjack or or on the roulette table
1: mm-hmm um but, you know, if, if you're agreeing to pay someone a certain a sum of money, if a certain, certain situation arises, and you don't actually have any money, well, that doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So if you have a reserve requirement, you gotta have some money so that you can pay if things don't work out. That would solve the derivative problem. In fact, I don't think many people would issue derivatives under those conditions.
0: So they need to have regulation or rules for these derivatives because like with the tulip mania, people will just go crazy with them and do all kinds of ec- wreak all kinds of economic havoc.
1: Oh, that's right. It's just like you can't tell banks uh, that they they can't have any reserve requirements. You have to demand at least some reserve requirements
0: because certain percentage of banks will behave irresponsibly and lose everybody's money.
1: Well, that's right, and it's particularly true if you're going to. Uh, uh, safeguard money through federal deposit insurance or something like that. Then you have to say, well, you, you can only do very safe investments. We're not going to let you do anything risky. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it's like the savings and loan crisis.
0: Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, the need for regulation in these areas seems to be, uh, uh, obvious, doesn't it?
1: Well, it's deregulation that, that started the ball rolling on this.
0: Back in the eighties.
1: Yeah, okay. I, I mean, as far as the derivatives, uh, a big thing that that had to do with this is Milton Friedman called up somebody at the Treasury Department, I think it was actually the Treasury Secretary, and got him to, uh, to make certain kinds of trading legal in, in the Chicago, Chicago Board of Trade, or the Chicago market there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that allowed the securitization of just about any asset, which is one of the one of the big things about this whole mess.
0: And so Milton Friedman, this can actually be laid to the door of an actual economist.
1: Uh yes, I guess the, the one of the person that came up with the portfolio theory, which is very important and in, in, in all this mess of mathematical uh use of, of finan- financial instruments and derivatives, was actually a student of Friedman.
0: So the Federal Reserve itself had no control over the process of credit inflation in the 1990s.
1: Well, they they had some control. It's hard to know exactly how much control they had. They probably could have stopped it if they had put the brakes on because that would have created a panic in the markets.
0: Now, I'd I'd read somewhere that that Alan Greenspan made some kind of comment in his book that he came out with um, last year uh, that he said that they did expand credit, uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, because they were looking at all these people from Eastern Europe going into the world market and greater trade and greater productivity and a greater need for dollars. And, uh, have you ever, have you read, run into this uh, statement anywhere? Did you read it, Greenspan's book, didn't you? Yeah,
1: well they, they did do expanding. The, the Federal Reserve expands credit all the time. They did expand credit at that time.
0: And um, since Eastern Europe, the whole situation didn't quite work out. That it, it, they didn't really liberalize truly. That the economy there remains, sovietized to a great extent, and where not, it's underground mafia-style shoot 'em up gangsterism. Um, Being that was a disappointment. Did that credit expansion? Did that, in some sense, backfire? Could that be, anything be laid to the to the door of that?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean there some of those economies did okay and created some issues there because of they they increased the uh the labor force in the world
0: uh, that's well, probably they, the biggest impact well they increased the labor force where dollars were traded openly um, but the labor force existed before and in fact uh, I think there's more unemployment in Eastern Europe now than there was under the Soviet Empire period, But, of course, uh, the economies function a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, I think they fun- function somewhat more efficiently. Because we have a more efficient use of, of labor. And that's certainly true. China's really the big player in all this. Because the China labor market opened up.
0: And now, they sold their labor. Now, China is really going to be badly affected by this um By these bursting bubbles and by the fact that uh, consumers, I, I I saw Black Friday. That a figure was that it was the uh, only a three percent increase in the shopping over the previous year, which is the lowest increase in Black and a Black Friday in a long time. Um, And what what surprised me is that you know people were saying how dismal the Christmas shopping season is going to be, and I go, well, it's three percent higher than last year. What's there to complain about? Um, Is 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 the Christmas season shaping up to look okay or, or what, what does that uh, prefigure? And are, is China going to be seriously hurt because people aren't going to buy their junk this Christmas at the stores?
1: Well, it's hard to know. They may be buying their junk because they can't afford the more expensive stuff. Mm. So maybe they, they won't be hurt, but in the long run they will be because this is just Christmas season and, and people want to buy stuff at Christmas and, and things haven't really gotten real bad yet. Hmm. We we still have um you know single digit um unemployment. And so there's still a lot of people working receiving paychecks. Hmm. That is intriguing. And of course also I I think that uh I don't know what that statistic measures but uh uh I bet you that a lot of retailers are really dropping their prices quite aggressively.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I've I've heard that too. Um it's interesting Paul Volcker's name comes up now the uh, President elect Obama has chosen him to head up his uh task force uh, economic recovery task force and Volcker was a former Fed chairman when Jimmy Carter in the early years of Ronald Reagan who was uh, really big in fighting inflation and uh and really uh some people credit him with uh you know getting us through the hard times of the early 80s to the prosperity of the of of the later 80s um because what he did is he he inflation is destructive to an economy and he stemmed the tide there was double digit inflation under carter they had this stagflation and they just worked it out they let a, a severe recession play out and uh, the bad stuff in the economy got worked out of the economy and you had uh, a period of vibrancy and growth is uh, is volcker uh you think uh, a, a smart guy and he's going to have a good influence on the, uh, the future administration's policies?
1: Well, he's a smart guy. The, the one problem with Volcker is, is that he's a monetarist, and while that made sense in the late 70s when you had inflation, when we have deflation, I don't know if it makes quite as much sense. Because I'm not, I'm not sure he understands. Again, he sees the monetary supply as being like a bathtub. And if you have deflation, you just pour more water in your bathtub, and that's going to solve it. And that's just not true, because it's the, the real issue is the quality, It's not the quantity of money. It's the quality of the money. It's what people judge about the money, and, and whether they're willing to to use it or not. Uh, since people are are would rather hold money than spend it, uh, pouring a lot of money into the economy just uh, you know increases bank reserves and and causes people's mattress to be stuffed more.
0: Hmm. Interesting. It's a different dynamic now. Well, Greg, I want to thank you for joining me on the jrnyquist.com podcast, and uh, I'll look forward to next time having you on chatting some more about the economy.